Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever and wherever it is that you're listening to us, we want to thank you in advance. We have fans have always appreciated your input as fellow fans. When you're happy, we're happy. When you're upset, we are too. But sometimes we're just a little bit more honest. We are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. You can find us on Twitter at Bastards underscore Boston. I'm your host, Cody Paulson. You can find me on Twitter at the Cody Paulson. Our other hosts for this episode tonight are Terry Cushman coming to us from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine, and Nick Face coming to us from Reading, Massachusetts. Nick, how are you doing tonight and where can the fans find you on Twitter? Hey Cody, it was a really fun weekend for our family. Um, I just got back from Pittsburgh. I was just talking with um, the guys a little bit about my experience this weekend for our family. Uh, we had a family member by the name of Roy Face, was a legendary Pittsburgh Pirate pitcher back in the day, get inducted into the Pittsburgh Pirates Hall of Fame. So I went down this weekend to Pittsburgh. They did the whole ceremony from PNC Park. It was an amazing experience. I'm thrilled I was able to get to be there and amazingly made it back in time, back to Boston to be here with you two guys tonight to talk socks. So all kinds of fun. And fans can find me at Twitter at FaceTheFacts15. There's some pictures up from the weekend if you want to get a chance to kind of see what went down for the ceremony and all too. Uh, that's a really cool experience to be able to go down and uh, you know celebrate some some family heritage and, and a great ballpark, no less. Um, you know, very very grateful to hear uh, that you had a good experience. And Terry, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing okay. My weekend wasn't quite as fun as Nick's. I uh, got my ASS kicked uh, in a couple of cribbage tournaments. One of them at the very end. Like you have a qualifying round and then you have the playoffs at the end that you have to fight your way into. And I was like so close to the playoffs. And basically the equivalence of me missing it was the closer coming into the game, ninth inning, everything's good. And then giving up five runs and just sudden avalanche and you're out, you're out of the playoffs. And that's how my weekend was. And, uh, my favorite thing about Nick's uh, uncle, great uncle, actually, uh, getting in as we were talking before we come on the air, he struck out Mickey Mantle in the 1960 World Series, which the Pirates went on to win. So that was my favorite part of the story, and I just wanted that reflected. Um, quick check of the standings. Uh, not great news. Red Sox lost a full game. Uh, they were three and a half out coming into the series. They are now four and a half games out uh, after dropping the series two games to one against the Dodgers. They lost games one and three. Uh, but the team to watch out for, I, if, if we're on collapse watch right now, um, which was the theme of my weekend, as we said, keep an eye on the Texas Rangers. They lost eight in a row, then on Saturday finally won a game, but then they lost Sunday's game. So um, that's a team that could end up putting the Red Sox into it. Uh, the Red Sox are still two games behind Toronto, however, um, you know, in the wind calm. Toronto is out of it presently, but we still have to leapfrog them, so... Uh, taking it one team at a time, they're the next closest. So, other than that, interesting weekend, right? Mookie came back, and yeah, lot to unpack about the series. Um, you know, you can definitely see just the depth of the lineup when the top one, two guys are going like like Mookie and Freeman are going. And speaking of weekend performances, obviously, as Terry mentioned, you know, the Sox they dropped two out of three. So we're going to start with duds this week instead of studs nick why don't you lead us off with your dud for this series my dud was nick pavetta and i give that because i think he's getting overused a little bit too much in some of these situations where i think alex cora doesn't exactly know right now exactly where he's going to fit in best do they just keep him as a starter do they put him in the bullpen and then bring him in as a starter? Do they just put him in in whatever kind of role it's going to be? I even heard some rumblings that if Kenley Jansen was down, Nick Pavetta would just go into this role. I just got a headache from just hearing myself talk on where exactly the guy's fitting in right now. 
I think he got a little exposed, though, from this weekend with getting into a role where I think there was some trust that was going to be given to him, and he just didn't have it. I think we also need to remember that Nick Pavetta is Nick Pavetta. There are glimpses of greatness. There are times where he will struggle and his command will be a mess and he'll walk players and everything. The main thing that I like on Nick Pavetta is his compete level and his care. The guy is always fired up for the most part. He wants to do everything he can for the team. I want a bunch of guys that are like that. Guys that blood, sweat, and tears. They're going to give it their all. They're going to do everything they can to get the job done. He just didn't get the job done uh, from Friday. That's why he landed on my dud list. I do think he'll bounce back. I do hope that the Red Sox do finally figure out where exactly are they going to put Pavetta. Because I think I still feel like, oh, if they need an opener, oh, don't worry, just throw Pavetta in, even on two days rest. Oh, don't worry, we'll just put Pavetta in the seventh. Oh, he'll throw the ninth. It's okay to do that too. It's great to be able to do that. But I also would love to see some consistency with the guy because I'm sure the damn guy has a, has a headache the size of you-know-what right now with figuring out where he's going to be placed on this team. Terry, what are your thoughts on Nick Pavetta's performance over the weekend? I think Nick Pavetta has simply looked more and more mortal uh, over the last several times out uh, going all the way back to, let's see, July 31st ironically, uh, a day before the trade deadline. He has had seven starts or appearances. Uh, only one of them was scoreless, and that was against Houston. He only pitched two-thirds of an inning, so perhaps that's the reason why. But he's given up three earned runs or more in uh, all the others. And I just... Again, some of those were starts, so it's, you know, three earned runs over five innings, not terrible, but it's a roller coaster with Pavetta. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's a rush and sometimes it's just not very pleasant. And that's what we're getting right now. And it's not timed very well because I think this bullpen, like Nick said with Pavetta, I think the bullpen's getting kind of tired. I mean, Josh Winkowski has pitched, uh, you know, he's one of the most highly utilized relievers in baseball this year in terms of innings pitched. Uh, Chris Martin has still looked pretty good. Uh, you know, runners aren't scoring on him, but there has been more traffic on the bases while he's been on the mound. And Schreiber just, you know, has been a mess most of the year. Uh, unfortunately. And so I, I just going forward, um, I I've got concerns about the rotation. We'll get into that here in just a minute, but, but the bullpen is a huge concern for me and getting back to Pavetta. I don't think they know what to do with him because he was starting games and he wasn't terrible, but he was, you know, he was giving up runs. He wasn't invincible like he was, through most of July and August, um, or excuse me, June and July, I should say. Um, but a couple, what was it? His start against the Yankees, they put, they put an opener in front of him. So I, I don't think the Red Sox are confident, you know, he's slipping a little bit as a starter. Okay. So let's bring him in, you know, back to a bulk role and, it just it hasn't been working out, so we'll see. But the the game definitely went went sideways uh, on Friday night when when he was brought in. Four earned runs wasn't good. Yeah, I mean, you know, Pavetta, as we've lamented in the past, right, is usually good for about a month or two of of elite production, right? And it just so happened that that a uh, month or two of elite production came at a time in which the Red Sox really needed it, right? You know, we were down, I think, to three starting pitchers at best, and he was able to come in, you know, in that bullpen role. Nick, you mentioned it, fiery competitor, just give me the ball. Whenever you need it, I'm going to take it. I'm going to try to do my job, get the outs. And I think this is a guy that strives off of consistency. 
And you guys are absolutely right. This bullpen is beleaguered. It is fatigued. It is overused. We are taking something that used to be maybe not a top five option, but definitely a top 10 option in the league and, and really kind of wearing it thin. And these guys are getting to, you know, kind of their reserves. They're on fumes. Um, you know, Alex Cord did mention in some of his post-game interviews, he was riding guys, he was pushing guys, and that was some of his mistakes. And I think that was kind of what you were seeing with Pavetta, right? Comes in, immediately gives up loud contact, right? Those runners come in. And he just was, you know, he didn't have it that day. And I think, you know, we're going to talk about another guy that just didn't have it and had, you know, we kind of given him some leash, right? Which is a unique place for us to be with Pavetta because normally with Pavetta we're like oh man what's this guy doing he's not answering the questions of the media right he's up and down it's a roller coaster and you know I think he earned he earned a lot of respect and he learned a lot of um of leash from Red Sox Nation uh with his performances through June through July kind of carrying some some heavy innings for the Red Sox both in that opener in that bulk role in that you know spot starter role and um I don't really know what Cora was supposed to do when Pavetta didn't have it, right? You saw it a little bit today with with Murphy, you know, now granted the Red Sox offense came to life in the back half of that game and, you know, hindsight 2020, maybe you like to see Cora pull Murphy, put it in the bullpen and, you know, see what happens. But he's he's got to let guys go out there and just eat innings because we don't really have the options like we used to. You know, Kenley was down this weekend. Um Schreiber has been kind of a little bit shaky. Bernardino goes on the COVID list. So, you know, you call, you call down to the bullpen and the bullpen coach will pick it up and be like, I've got no, I've got no arms. Like you, you got the guy on the mound and he's got the rest of the game. So um, it really was a bummer of an appearance from Pavetta. It's a tough lineup too, which I think, you know, kind of exacerbates the, the impression, the effect of, of his outing, but uh, definitely not an appearance that we're we're used to seeing from him, um, especially you know with how he's performed uh, this season. But uh, Terry, why don't we kick it over to you for your dud for this uh, series? My dud is going to be James Paxton, and I know his start came in a game where the Red Sox won, but he didn't look good, and I, I think there's a lot to be. Uh, concerned about uh, with him, uh, you know, gave up a um, basically he walked five guys, gave up four and runs. Dude was just a mess. Only lasted four and one thirds, and he just he's just a complete mess out there. Just a totally different guy from, from what we saw in, you know, late spring and through the first half of the summer. And he had me eating a lot of crow. I was like, I didn't, I thought it was an extreme long shot that he could come back after not essentially pitching since 2019. And be a serviceable, consistent guy in the pen. And it wasn't that long ago we were talking about he was our best trade chip. He was one of the guys, if we decided to be sellers, we were going to get a big haul for. And he's just completely uh, fallen on his face. The command just isn't isn't there. Um. I just, I don't know what to do, uh, you know, going forward. The rotation kind of seems like it's in flux. I mean, Crawford's had a couple of decent starts, so okay, maybe he's back on track, but it's still kind of a tough sell, and, and Crawford's velocity has dropped. So is Paxton's, by the way, which is probably part of the problem, um, but you got some guys in here. Chris Sale's going to go up against the the Astros tomorrow so we'll get into that in the preview but you know the 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 pitching the rotation and the bullpen is looking extremely ominous right now and James Paxton's a big part of that ha, had he been solid or at least had command you know the last 3 4 times out you know my confidence in the Red Sox closing the gap in this wild card race is a lot higher, but 
Not a good weekend for Paxton. Indeed not. Nick, what are your thoughts? I'm glad you brought up the whole thing about the deadline with James Paxton, Terry, because I'm actually processing this right now with seeing what he's done in the past few starts as a blown opportunity, a blown chance to see if you could stock up on something in return, because right now it's become a worrisome problem. I think is the best way to describe it when he steps on the mound right now. That Houston series last week when he he was out there, it should have raised a few more red flags with the short days of rest that he had. I believe he only had four days rest versus five that last time that he was out. St- uh, historically, he has not done well without having that fifth day. So he needs that fifth day to get himself into the right rhythm and right routine to rest up. What you saw again from James Paxton on his next start out. I don't know how he didn't get the loss, but he didn't. Um, He ended up going four and a third. He gave up four hits with four earned runs to that with the home run ball. The home run ball has what has been a big time problem for him, specifically in August alone, his August numbers alone. He's one and two with a 584 ERA in 24 and two thirds innings that that just doesn't cut it right there compared to his month of June when he had a three and oh record with a one seven four ERA his July was not terrible but it still also was trending in the wrong direction too these guys are overtaxed we talked about it with Pavetta the last opportunity we had to speak the team was not set up to to succeed right, and that's from Bloom and the construction of this roster. It's starting to catch up with them. The innings are up. The durability is up. A big-time problem with that is how much these guys actually have in the tank. And historically, Heim Bloom teams do not have the definition of durability in them. They just don't. They break down, they get hurt, and you can't trust them to fulfill a long season. That's what you have right now, and this is built by Bloom. So this definitely deserves the criticism right here. Again, James Paxton, he's his own human being. But Hein Bloom built this roster. This is the guy that has Hein Bloom. Hein Bloom is the reason James Paxton continued on being a Red Sox and everything. So we we need better, and we're just not getting it. Before I get into, you know, kind of my opinions for James Paxton's performance over the weekend, let me ask you guys a question because, you know, you brought up a a great point of – should we have sold high on Paxton at the deadline, right? You know, you have a guy that wasn't making a lot of money this year, could have gotten some, you know, a prospect package, maybe a 4A player or a low-level MLB-ready option. Would you take Paxton on a team-friendly deal going into next year, given that he's, quote-unquote, driven his value down with the way that he's performed after the the trade deadline? Would you you like him on your roster next year, knowing what the upper level could be, right? That 3-0-1-2-4 ERA for a whole month, you know, four or five uh, pitching opportunities. What are your guys' thoughts? Go ahead, Nick. I'm going to go with a pass on it. And the reason I want to go on a pass for it is because I think what we've seen is what we're going to get. I don't think we're going to see him exceed to another level. And I have that concern of re-injury happening again to Paxton. So I think if we want to go with the one-year rebuild value kind of mode on another type of pitcher, I think I'll entertain it. But the song and dance that I've seen right here is, I think, going to be a reflection of what we see next year. Or it could be even worse. Because at the beginning, I think everybody here was all cool with James Paxton. We thought it was great. We were surprised he was on the mound. We were surprised he was delivering as great as he's done. But now the long haul of the season is catching up to him. And for all we know, guys, he could be pitching through something. We don't know. And that something could turn into being more problematic into the offseason and into next year. So I think it's time for us to stop the bargains by the bag full mode and go out and actually sign somebody who's durable, that can be trusted, that we can install into that rotation. 
I'm an even harder pass than Nick is because you're going to go into next year probably with the propaganda or rhetoric that Chris Hale's finally going to pitch 150 innings, which he won't. It will not happen. Some weird injury is going to happen, perhaps an arm, perhaps a shoulder, you know, more commonly. Uh, maybe he'll break his pelvis throwing a 98-mile-an-hour fastball. That that just sounds like, you know, it's it's a possibility with Chris Sale. Um, so you, you've got that concern there. We still don't know what Tanner Houck is, and, and we don't have enough of the season left to know what Tanner Houck is. So he's going to probably go into the 2024 rotation and, and be a starter, at least to begin with. But how confident are we? We're, I'm good with Bayo. Hopefully he stays healthy. I mean, he's got a high workload right now, but at face value, not a lot to be concerned with there. And then Cutter Crawford. I think that dude overperformed this year. I don't think he's a long-term starting pitcher, especially with Dave Bush, you know, as his pitching coach. Um, so to have another guy with the level of uncertainty that Paxton's going to bring, I just can't do it. You know, the, the big name being thrown out on Twitter right now is Yoshinobu Yamamoto. And I guess I'd be fine with that. I mean, I'm typically good with Japanese arms more than I am, uh, Japanese bats, despite, uh, Yoshida having a pretty good year, but I, I'm going to be a hard pass on on James Paxton. I think that's a, a totally fair uh, point and stance to take. I have no agenda. This is just you know something that kind of popped into my head as as Nick was giving his take. You know, I think if you could bring him in on you know like you said that one one year prove it deal, maybe go to a six man rotation, guarantee him those five days of rest. That might be something, right, as we look to build a more substantial rotation moving forward, because that has been the Achilles heel of the Bloom teams, right, is, is the starting rotation just hasn't lived up to their end of the bargain. Um, but, you know, the stars have to align, other options have to fall through first, or, you know, it wouldn't be, hey, let's open up the offseason by making sure that we retain James Paxton's talents, because you guys are absolutely right. He is... He is trending in in a poor direction. The control isn't there like it used to be. He's going up against stiffer competition, and that's going to be part of the ball game too, right? You want to make a deep run into the playoffs, you're going to be playing good teams. And he's got to be able to get it done. He's got to be able to locate. He's got to be able to to be that front end of the starting rotation that he has been in the past, and, and he just hasn't been that, which is a real bummer because – you know, we were playing with house money at the beginning of the season. Everybody was happy. Nick mentioned it. We're getting innings from this guy. This is great. You know, we're starting to get some production. We're starting to get some ROI on a player that we have, you know, kind of given out a lot of money and yet to see pitch for the organization. And as he continued to pitch well, the tides turned a little bit because they're like, okay, now we can start to expect some things from him, right? You know, the, the goalposts do move a little bit. And, you know, he hasn't pitched this many innings in however many years. And, you know, I do I do wonder if he is working through some things, right? Because there is probably internal and external pressure to not be that oft injured or injury prone type player. So he's like, if I can pitch through this, I'm going to figure out a way to pitch through this. Give me the ball. I'm going to go get some innings. I'm going to go get some outs. And I just don't know if he necessarily has that ability anymore like he used to, you know, when he was when he was in Seattle and getting the nickname the Big Maple. Anything else that you gentlemen wanted to add on James Paxton? Nope. All right. Then we will move on to the final dud for this weekend series. Uh, my dud for the series was Pablo Reyes. Um, not really a lot to mention here. We had talked a lot about um, Pavetta earning a little bit of leash. And, you know, I, I think it's a similar vein when we talk about Pablo Reyes. The guy has maybe played over his head for the amount of times that he's been up in the bigs. He's provided solid middle infield defense, but this weekend was a tough one for him. 0 for 9 with two Ks, got lifted from the game. Uh, looked like he might have tweaked something on that strikeout. Uh, thankfully, it wasn't that bad of an injury because he's able to get back into the lineup today, but um, he just looked like he was a little bit overmatched. Uh, you know, made a lot of contact, which is great, but, you know, wasn't falling in. He didn't have any of those those big hits that he's had in the past. Um Maybe we can just kind of flush it as a series because he is surprisingly pretty valuable for us at this time, right? Story isn't a you know an everyday shortstop just yet, uh, so you know to have Reyes as that super utility infielder has been has been pretty important, and he's been hitting 
um, at a pretty decent clip. So um, dud for the series, 0 for 9, has to be highlighted. But apart from that, hopefully, you know, is just a, a bad series, maybe pressing too hard, and he'll get it back together against Houston. Nick, what are your thoughts? I just think this is one of those series, like you said, Cody, where a little bit too much over his head with the competition and everything. I mean, he definitely is a player that was over-exceeding expectations. For quite some time, he was like the Red Sox spark plug. I feel like every time he got in the lineup, he would do something productive offensively, defensively, running, whatever it would be to impact the game. I just look at this series as one of those where he just didn't have it. Thankfully, from any kind of like an injury concern-wise, he did get back into the lineup today. Yes, he did go 0 for 4 and everything, but I'm not looking too hard at this because I do also think this is a good opportunity for fans to also realize that this guy is human. He's not going to go up and get a hit every single game. He's just not. Remember, this is a guy that was – pretty much a free commodity to go and get and to go and try and install to bring some sort of uh, life to the Red Sox to see if he could catch lightning in a bottle. And he has, he has, he's made a lot of us become fans very quickly from his hustle and his attitude. And he's just like an infectious kind of guy in a good way that we wish we had more of these guys inserted to the team. So, I think if this continues, we'll look at this series against Houston and everything. It might be time to think about some other options, maybe September call-ups or something, get uh, an option or an opportunity to play. But they definitely need the guy. There's no question about that. I mean, Trevor Story is still not 100%, so you need to count on Reyes. And it's a little scary when you can't get production out of a guy with we had no idea would even be a part of this whole lineup come uh, August into September. Terry, your thoughts? He is who he is. I mean, he's a backup infielder, uh, you know, at, at second and short. He's only committed six errors on the season. I feel like it, it should probably be higher than that. I mean, he's, you know, he's just kind of bobbled some grounders that, you know, other everyday players might have uh, made a little bit more smoothly. Um, you know, Kike Hernandez wouldn't be one of those either, but, um, but yeah, I mean, so I, I, I'm, I'm not like supremely confident, uh, you know, in his defense in a, in a big spot, but, um, people seem to fall in love with him after the grand slam against, uh, Cleveland, uh, that ended up being the walk-off. And uh, he had another key at bat not long after that. But the numbers are kind of coming down to earth with him. And I think they just need to utilize him the way he was initially intended to be, uh, which is basically, you know, he should be in the lineup when lefties are on the mound. He's got far better career numbers against lefties. And that's how I would utilize him. After the Grand Slam, we, they start playing him every day, kind of riding the hot hand. But I think we're back to, like I said, just just start him against lefties, and I think he'll give you pretty good numbers. And um, he got some injuries right now. Hopefully Devers will be back tomorrow, or, or in game one, I should say, against the Astros. X-ray's negative uh, for him, but Turner's a, a little bit... Uh, banged up as well so you know if you want to use story as a as a dh or whatever against the lefty you know that's when you can get reyes in there but but you know he was 0 for 9 so is what it is yeah like you guys said you know due to to regress a little bit could just be a tough series and you know he does give us some flexibility uh you know thankfully Arias is in in the building as well between story Arias and and reyes you do have you know some interchangeability that we necessarily didn't have or at least you know a level of comfort we didn't have uh with the the previous platoon um any other tidbits that you guys wanted to add in on the pablo reyes or any other dishonorable mentions that you wanted to mention for the weekend 
Um, I'm just going to mention Yoshida wasn't in there twice, basically. He did have a pinch hit appearance late today, but not in the lineup, uh, you know, until very late in the game. So um, I don't know what's going on with this guy. He seems to be falling, like free falling off a cliff right now. And he's had more. He's not even on the Bogarts program. I thought Xander Bogarts got more scheduled days off than anyone, you know, in the history of healthy, everyday Red Sox players. And Yoshida is just needs way more time off. I mean, I know in Japan they had every Monday off and. He's not used to playing over here, but he's been over here a while. I mean, most of them reported in what, early February, and now we're pushing September. Dude should be acclimated, and they need to figure him out. They need to get him hitting again, not rolling them soft ground balls into, you know, into fielder's choice type situations. We're in a we're in a tight playoff race right now, wild card race, and uh, it got a little less tighter actually over the weekend. Like I said, now we're four and a half back. We're gonna have the Astros for three. That's one of the teams we are chasing. This is a massive series coming up, so they got to get Yoshida right and uh, stop treating him like a baby. Uh, other than that, um, Urias was zero for six, and. Uh, I didn't think the bullpen looked particularly great, but that's a conversation for another show. Yeah, uh, I do agree, right? Yoshida has had some struggles recently, a lot of rollovers a second. He did sting one to left in one of those pinch hit opportunities uh, in the Dodgers series, which was a nice sign of life. Uh, unfortunately, it was just right at the left fielder, so it didn't really do anything for us. But, um, you know, getting him figured out, moving forward, this uh, this offense goes a lot better if if he is producing. Nick, was there anything that you wanted to, to chip in with? I'm going to put my hitting coach mode on for Yoshida. And the biggest problem with Yoshida is the way his hands are getting held with the bat. So I don't know if you guys have noticed that they're working on the adjustment of where he's starting with his swing and everything. When he was going good, his hands are up higher in his approach. For whatever reason, they would dip down and he was all out of whack and out of funk. They're trying to get the hands more up towards a better bat angle to finagle whatever struggles that he's working with. So uh, Mr. Fatsy, who's their hitting coach, needs to get with it and get with the program because I'm growing more and more frustrated with seeing from my eye. I'm not an expert. I know the game. I've coached it. I understand like if someone's in a slump. I used to do this all the time. I was a lefty just like Yoshida. It was always something with the hands approach, and his approach needs to be fixed like immediately. They need to look at video. They need to figure out what they need. They need to figure out what adjustment needs to get done to get those hands raised to get him back to a place where he's a confident hitter and we can count on him because everything is just a rollover right now. So fix the damn thing, please. Or I'll become the Red Sox hitting coach. I don't know if I want that job, though. No. no, that's a thankless job. I don't want that job. Yeah, and just to to have all your hard work be credited to Petey, because Petey told, you know, Duran, get your hands up like you're about to box, right? And then, you know, Duran goes on a tear. But let's talk about something a little bit more positive. Let's get into the studs for the weekend. Uh, Terry, why don't you kick it off with your stud for the weekend? My stud for the weekend, going outside the box here, is Ryan Brazier, who looked phenomenal in the uh, in the finale today, struck out two, and mercifully he was designated for assignment. I mean, nobody took more bullets than Ryan Brazier did the first couple of months of the season. He was the guy everybody was done with. He was like Al Pacino in one of the final scenes of Scarface, getting lit up by the machine guns. That was Ryan Brazier on Red Sox Twitter. And then the Dodgers picked him up, and I laughed. <laughs> like, the Dodgers just really brought in 35 years old, completely washed up Ryan Brazier. And let me, uh, I should have had Brazier's numbers up. But they fixed him. And how they did that 
was they were like, all right, we're going to sign you. We're going to put you on the major league roster. And we're just going to have you mix a cutter in to your, to your arsenal. He was a fastball slider guy here in Boston. And they're like, yeah, we'll just have you throw a cutter. Everything will be fine. And uh, literally, yeah, everything's been fine. Since being traded to the Dodgers, he has a 1.03 earned run average, and that's in 25 appearances, okay? A 1.03 earned run average in 25 appearances. He had a 7.29 ERA with the Red Sox in 20 appearances, five less. The majority of his outings now have been with the Dodgers. And the dude is just lights out. And let me just pull up his game logs here real quick. So I know he's given up he's given up just a few runs that have been spread out over a couple appearances. Ironically, we did touch on him after his first dozen or so appearances. And um, right after we did, he uh, served up a tater. But his last run given up, so what's today? August 29th. His last run given up was August 6th against the Padres. The, the last run he gave up before that... July 3rd, a month and three days prior to August 6th. The dude's just been lights out. Has he given up any more runs? Yeah, he gave up a run on June 24th. So he's given up a total of three earned runs and 25 appearances. I'll bet you, I'm going to scroll up to the Red Sox game logs here. I'll bet you he gave up three runs in one game. In fact, yes, the answer is yes. Three times while with the Red Sox earlier this season, he gave up at least three runs. Three to the Cleveland Indians, Guardians. I'm never going to get it right. Three to the Minnesota Twins. Three to the Baltimore Orioles. I just, all they did, there was like, dude, just throw a cutter. That's how they fixed him. If you're, how does Dave Bush still have a job? How does how does Heim Bloom look at Dave Bush and go, "You're you're still my guy. You're you're going to take us to the promised land." How does he do that? How does Alex Cora do that? How does Alex Cora not go to Heim Bloom and be like, "Yeah, our pitching coach, he's just he can't he can't come up with the solutions." I I don't get it. I mean, <laughs> Ryan Brazier is one of the best pitchers, one of the best relief pitchers in Major League Baseball right now. All they had to do was teach him the cutter. So he was my stud for the series. And um, yeah. What are you guys' thoughts? Nick, why don't you cut in with your opinion? Can we just admit right now that the Red Sox coaching staff is just not good? Can we just fully admit that? Because I feel like anytime a player does not succeed or does not reach expectations here to get released, they get traded or whatnot. And they go off into all these other different places. They're able to get fixed. They're able to produce better. They're exceeding expectations, much like with Ryan Brazier here. I mean, this guy was the punching bag of us for so many months at the early beginnings of our season. The guy had like 20 lives to him. He'd get tattooed, he'd get lit up like a Christmas tree, and we'd all be talking here as Ryan Brazier, when he's out of here, when is he going? How is this guy still here? I give the Dodgers a lot of credit because the Dodgers are doing things right. The Dodgers have a hell of a fund of a hell of a fundamental organization from top to bottom, leading down to even Dave Roberts as their coach and everything. I know a lot of this is built off of, you know, the baseball ops office and everything. And that should be looked at as the model organization in Major League Baseball. It just should be. To be able to fix a broken down, pretty much nothing pitcher that Ryan Brazier was here for Boston to become a trusted anchor of that bullpen for the Dodgers. I don't know about you guys, but I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed because this is the guy that you had. 
This is what couldn't be fixed. And now the Dodgers, they're happy as a clam. And you know what? They're also happy as a clam with Kike Hernandez because the guy has pretty much been playing every day for them. He's putting up very close to a 270 average for the month of August right here. He got a big hit on Friday night in their game and everything too. He's re- he's re- like revitalized the Dodgers from his love and his charismatic way that he is. Why do things continue to fail here in Boston? That is the big thing. They just fail and fail and fail. And everywhere else they go, specifically the Dodgers, Red Sox West, our trash becomes their treasure. Real quick before you say it, Cody, just a, just a quick reminder. The Dodgers top executive, Andrew Friedman, and Heim Bloom, our top executive, came from the same organization who oversaw the same pitching program who apparently knew some of the best secrets. And as Nick pointed out, the Dodgers always do it better. And Bloom just can't figure it out. It's just totally crazy. Great point, Terry, on that. Yep, Andrew Friedman. That was your guy. You wanted Andrew Friedman 2.0 here in Boston, and you couldn't have him because Heim Bloom doesn't know what day of the week it is. I don't I mean player development, sure, is rolls up underneath your chief baseball executive or chief baseball officer, but it's gotta come down to the coaches, right? Like you guys said, if Dave Bush can't figure out how to tell a guy to throw a closer or mix up his pitch mix or or whatnot, like I think Brazier had those 20 lives and and Bloom did an interview and he's like, Well, his peripheral numbers are looking pretty good. There's there's certain aspects to his game that make him better than some of these other guys that were DFAing. Cause you know, we all sat here thinking like, how is Brazier still here? And these guys are getting released, you know, Brazier's basically given away games on, on a silver platter and he still retains in the organization. The player development's got to pick it up, right? Whether it be the coaches that, you know, are, are working on the guys at the major league level or, you know, the guys that are working at the minor league level to help build up the farm system. We're just flat out not getting it done. Um, I don't know if that's because we got the wrong guy at the lower levels. You could, you know, make the argument that we got the wrong guy at the upper levels, but there's only but so many good coaches that go around, right? And and those that are good usually stay in the same place because they're rewarded for being good coaches. Um, you know, I think that's a whole other rabbit hole that we can go down. It's good to see Brazier, you know, find a second set of wings or whatever that, you know analogy it is that you want to see he wasn't getting it done he needed a fresh start it's a you know at least it's in the nl right and we don't have to see him you know shove it down our throats in the bronx or you know in toronto or tampa or or baltimore but he had a great series he looks like the brazier of old the brazier from 2018 and and you know i'm just a bummer that it wasn't here nick who was your stud for the series A stud more so in looking at how he's produced in August and everything. Today was an anomaly for him. He just was nowhere near as any as doing any of the numbers that he's put up. But Alex Verdugo was my guy. It really captivated that Friday night game when he let off, got that home run. I felt real happy for the guy because he's been through a lot. He started out with his former team leading off the game with a home run and everything. If it, it was like a feel good story. It's like, okay, this is really cool to see him do this. You know, the Mookie replacement, former player on the Dodgers getting the series started off right for him was great. That was really awesome to see from him numbers aside from everything, just for his month of August he is up to for the month hitting at a 307 clip. Uh, that's with 88 at bats as well. He's got 12 RBIs on the uh, on the month as well too. Today went 0 for five. Also on Saturday he had a uh, one for five and he uh, one for five and then Friday night he did three for five for his for his uh, outing. But that Friday night game was really cool to see from that. I like what I've seen with him getting back into the leadoff spot. And I wasn't sure what was going to happen with Duran going down on who was going to be that guy in that leadoff spot. 
I've liked Duran quite a bit there. I don't know what happens when he comes back with Duran, where they place Verdugo. But if Verdugo's going to give you like he did at least for you know the Friday game, and even Saturday was was decent and everything, he still hit the ball pretty good. If you can have that consistency up at that leadoff spot, and Verdugo's going to be that guy, I'm all right with leaving him there if he's going to put up some numbers and everything. But just to see him get out of that funk that he was in and putting up a pretty solid average overall, I'll take that. So I was pretty happy overall with him. He's hitting in the last 15 games, uh, 313. And then if you want to shrink it down to just the last week, he's hitting 382. So safe to say that uh, Alex Verdugo has figured it out and only five strikeouts in his last 34 at-bats. So that's well under 20%, um, which is good. You know, everything appears to be back to normal. The only difference is he's having a bit of a power surge here uh, with the home runs. He had a chance at history today. If he could have hit a home run in his first at-bat, that would have been four in a row. And uh, didn't happen. Uh, it wasn't a very uh, competitive at-bat, unfortunately. But here's the one thing, though, that I was impressed with. In games one and two, that, that was his second and third game in a row, hitting a home run, leading off the game. It wasn't about Alex Verdugo all weekend. It was about Mookie Betts. And I think that was Alex Verdugo's way of saying, hey, you know, I'm relevant too. You know, I'm Mookie Betts is the reason I'm here. And look what I can do. And I think you saw that. And, you know, the team got pretty fired up on, on Friday. I mean, he hits the leadoff uh, solo shot. And then the Red Sox put up two more runs. They're up 3 nothing, So we're off to a good start. It didn't hold up, unfortunately. But um, And then we were down. We were down one to nothing before Verdugo came up in game two. And then hit a solo home run to kind of tie it. And... Uh, got got that game off to a good start. So it's good to see. I As far as the leadoff spot, I don't really know where else you could go with it. I mean, Trevor Story would be a candidate if he was hitting well enough, but he, he was only two for 11 in the series. I don't really, I mean, you, you could do it with Ref Snyder uh, against lefties, I guess, would, would be one option, but um, but I, I think it's Verdugo's spot right now. There's no timetable on Jaron Duran coming back. So, so hopefully he, you know, continues to thrive and, and hit at a, at a pretty good clip. I mean, when Verdugo had that hot start to the season, he was, you know, in the top half of the order, whether it be, you know, lead off or, or second, just depending upon the, the opposing pitcher. But Jerry, you kind of stole my thunder there with the uh, the weekend being about Mookie, and and here's Verdugo saying, you know, hey guys, I'm here too, right? This is a guy that we all know is very emotional. Could have very easily have shut it down, mailed it in this weekend, be like, look, you know, everybody doesn't like me here anymore. Like this season has gone poorly, you know, or taking a turn for the worse, for lack of better terms, in, in terms of his standing within the clubhouse, within the media, within the organization. And he's like, you know what? No, like I'm here too as well. Like I'm a player that, you know, I'm a major league ball player. I'm going to produce. And it's, it's been good to see because he really does bring a lot of fire and a lot of heart to this team and to the, to this lineup. And it's just been good to see him again at the top of the lineup, continuing to, to produce and, you know, it doesn't always have to be the long ball. This power surge is always appreciated. I don't think anybody's ever like, no, please stop hitting home runs. You're hitting too many of those. Um, but he's a guy that drives the ball, you know, foul pole to foul pole. And for him to start doing that again, I think is really going to set the table up nicely. Give Devers, uh, Story, Turner, Yoshida opportunities to, to drive in runs, to put up crooked numbers. And, you know, he, he was starting to do that and really impacting the game all over because he had a lot of great defensive plays as well. And when he's going well and he has that confidence, you can tell that he's just a, an entirely different player. And it's good to see him, you know, kind of break out of that funk a little bit. You know, we thought we saw signs of it a little bit in Seattle right after the trade deadline, but that wasn't, you know, a prolonged uh, resurgence. So, you know, this, this small sample size, albeit small, does seem to have a little bit more staying power, knock on wood. 
Back to you, Terry. Yeah, I, I forgot to mention he was a busy man out in right field and uh, had a couple of catches that were looking like they were going to land and, and result in a couple of extra base hits. Um, he chased a ball from uh, Freddie Freeman today in the finale, basically right out to the right field wall. It had to kind of extend his arm forward. It was an awkward angle, but he made the catch, and Freddie Freeman tipped his hat to him uh, saying, hey, nice catch. So much like Mookie, I, I don't know if he'll ever win a gold glove, Alex Verdugo, but still showing you, you know, pretty well above average uh, defense. In a, in a right field, that's not exactly straightforward or easy to play, right? You know, right field at Fenway is notoriously difficult to play. And, you know, that was part of Mookie's appeal is he could have done it so well. And, and Verdugo kind of steps into those shoes and hasn't really had a lot of, you know, knock on wood, bad plays in, in right. He's kind of taken to it pretty uh, pretty smoothly. Uh, Nick, is there anything that you wanted to mention on, on Verdugo? I, I just echo the same thing for you guys. This was Verdugo's chance. Very well put from Terry. Don't forget about me. You know, I, I'm also pretty damn good too. So yeah, I know Mookie was Mookie left and everything, but I think this lit up Alex Verdugo, like lit up to say, Hey, you know, Fenway, this is about me as well too. So it was nice to see him get that special moment, at least for Friday and Saturday with those leadoff home runs and everything to get that offense started for the Red Sox. And one last thing. So Mookie Betts hit one home run. Alex Verdugo hit two. Uh, Mookie did drive in uh, one more run. He had four runs batted in uh, compared to three for Verdugo. So they both put similar stamps on the series. Mookie did have a few more hits, one of which was a single. But but still, I mean, Verdugo, you know, he's he's made himself more, you know, more than a footnote uh, in a <laughs> A very, I would say, ominous um, part of uh, Red Sox Nation. So, Alrighty. Well, then let's look at the last stud for the series. My stud for the series was Adam Duvall, a guy that's been on an absolute tear recently, went 5 for 13 on the series, uh, three runs, four RBIs, including that three-run bomb in game two, which was, you know, the go-ahead. Uh, didn't prove to be the you know the winning runs, but definitely wouldn't have won Game Two without him. Um, I don't think we split the Astros series without that three-run home run as well to to get the game and and extras. And I think this this tough stretch of games that we're currently on looks a lot differently if we don't win Game Three down in Houston. Um, you know, to extrapolate it or you know zoom out a little bit, he's hitting 483 over the last seven. And you know, 300 over the last 30. So this is this is a guy that's starting to turn back the clock a little bit to the player that he was before he was injured. Maybe you know he's on another hot streak. Maybe he's just more comfortable trusting that wrist. But the strikeouts are down compared to his you know career average. The the hits are up, the home runs up, the powers up, RBI is up, and it's it's great to see. You know, nothing spectacular in the field, but we don't necessarily need him to be. Uh, we got him in the lineup for his bat and. Um, you know, he's been he's been a lifesaver with a pension for the big hits and, you know, especially out of the, you know, the right side of the batter's box too. this lineup uh, looks a lot different if he's not producing and if he's not in there. Terry, what are your thoughts? Coming into the season after he was signed, the hope was that he could somewhat replicate what he did in 2021 when he hit 38 home runs and then led all of major league baseball with 113 runs batted in. And he's not going to obviously reach that this year because the injury and it, it did take a little bit of time for him to, to find his rhythm, but he's showing you now that he's, essentially capable of that he's essentially capable of at least giving you a 3100 season and his home runs i mean they haven't been solo home runs they've been he's single-handedly been putting up crooked numbers you know in the box scores uh in various innings so 
hopefully it continues. I am a little concerned though that we're we're kind of living too much by the long ball. I, I hope we don't fall in love with that, and you know we just get into you know hard contact, keeping the ball in play, that type of thing. But easily, you you probably have two or three less wins in the last week and a half with, without Duvall's production. So going to be a guy we're, we're leaning on uh, this week uh, in the early part as the Astros come back to Fenway. So we'll see if he can keep it up. Nick, over to you. It's needed to happen for Adam Duvall. And that's because uh, before Duran went down, we were all at that point where we were saying, well, Adam Duvall needs to sit if he's not going to be able to hit and not going to be able to produce and be somebody that can be trusted within the lineup. Then we're team Duran. You know, you got to put him out there. He's makes an impact in the game almost all the time. But then Duran went down and then you had one less outfielder in your resource to be able to use. Well, Adam Duvall gets the opportunity and Adam Duvall has completely shined. In my eyes, he turned his season around. But the biggest thing, and I'm a believer in this, I think the wrist is starting to feel stronger, healthier, and back to a place where I feel like he has the confidence to crush that ball. I mean, that's what Duvall was brought here to be, that right-handed thumper who's going to knock runs in and knock the ball out of the park. So, yeah, does he strike out a bunch? Sure does. But when he hits the ball and he makes that contact for everything – you got a pretty good chance of being able to see Duvall explode in some sort of capacity, but you can't do any of that without a healthy wrist. I feel he was rushed back just because of that injury. We saw this same type of injury for a couple players over the years, sometimes many years. One in particular, my favorite growing up was Nomar. Nomar had a horrible, horrible wrist injury. I want to say that was in 2001, 2002. And Nomar never came back and was the same player after that. People can make a point that it was steroids, whatever the heck it is. We don't know any of that. It's we, we would need more facts on that. But the wrist for Nomar was the thing that really was the downfall of his career. What If we can see Adam Duvall continue to make strides and get into the lineup and put up numbers and everything like that, then he absolutely is a centerpiece of this lineup here. And if they can have that be something they can count on consistently like this, that's a great problem to have. You're finally getting a chance to see from back at the beginning of the season a little bit more of a stretch on who Adam Duvall is and what he can do when healthy. And that home running game, too, it was a 0-2 count, and it was an off-speed pitch uh, that was kind of middle in, and he just turned on it. And it cleared over the monster, over the, I don't know what the signs are these days. Used to be the sports authority signs, but it just, it cleared everything. And um, on to Lansdowne Street. So he's figured it out and uh, doesn't matter really where, where they're at in the count. He can, he can turn the game upside down for whoever's on the pitcher's mound uh, with one swing. Yeah, he definitely doesn't. Uh, he doesn't get cheated when he makes contact. He can leave the yard at a at a moment's notice. Um, if there's nothing else that you guys wanted to mention on Adam Duvall, we'll kick it over to Terry for some other honorable mentions for the series. Terry, who do you have? Well, I mean, Justin Turner uh, had uh, a, a similar series to Duvall. Uh, he hit uh, two home runs um, in in games two and three, just like Turner, uh, just like Duvall did. Excuse me. Uh, another guy who quietly had a very good series, uh, Reese McGuire, uh, three for four in his start on Friday and then was one for one, uh, in both Saturday and Sunday, uh, pinch hit appearances. So, uh, trying to help the team, uh, as best as he can. Connor Wong was two for six, but we probably should have mentioned that base running blender and the dishonorables. Uh, and then as far as pitching goes, here's the most hilarious stat of the weekend. Brennan Bernardino pitched one third of an inning on uh, Saturday, faced one batter 
gets credited for the win. <laughs> That's baseball, right? Uh, and then uh, beyond that, I think we'll leave it at that. Um, yeah. Schreiber was meh. Martin, uh, you know, got the the one out that they needed um, on Saturday. But Oh, actually, I did miss one. <laughs> uh, Tristan Casas, four for eight, uh, and uh, had a home run today. I think it's been a little while uh, since he last hit one, so... Go day to day too. I think he had a was it a double in today's game as well? It was. Yes. It was a double too. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. But ha- having a having a good good year. Uh, you know the consistency has been there since late May. So he keeps uh, turning up that uh, the need to be the first extended in the off season, right? I would say him yeah. and Bayo get it done. Yeah. Get it done. Why doesn't Bloom just do it now? You know, maybe maybe that'll earn him some points with ownership. Be like, hey, you know, he's waiting to get fired. <laughs> just believe believe in that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All righty. Well, Don't if there's nothing else you two gentlemen would like to add, no, we're no, good. I, the only other thing I was going to say um, on the on the um, honorables was I was going to pick Justin Turner. But Justin Turner, that would have been three three weeks in a row where I've picked Justin Turner. So I just wanted to have something different. This I just where would we be without Justin Turner, MVP of the Red Sox this season, in my opinion. Just a just an awesome, awesome dude. So thrilled to have him. Indeed. Well, that'll wrap it for all of us here tonight. We want to thank all of our loyal listeners and to our first time listeners as well. We appreciate all of you. Whether you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, we thank you. Everyone, have a great night and take care.